You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. I grew up in, in Calcutta, India, a city of 21 million people. I grew up in a Christian home and very early on in my life, uh, I realized that faith was something that was pretty important to my parents, so I began to go through the motions of church life. But age nine, a tragedy hits home. I watched my only sister die to leukemia. And I watched uh, the hopeless and hapless efforts of my parents trying to do everything to save our life. I saw you know, fasting, I saw people praying and fasting. And in the end, she ended up dying. And I didn't quite understand that. How could a loving God allow tragedies like that. So I turned my back on, on the faith of my parents, started doing my own thing. But my mother, uh, she one day bribed me to church. She said, if you go to church, I'll give you more pocket money. And I'm sitting in this youth meeting, and the preacher is an American missionary, and his words are, Christianity is not religion. It's friendship with God of eternity. And it's the first time I'd ever heard some, anyone say that and define Christianity in, in such a unique way. And uh, those words really opened my eyes, and I said, God, my fight with you is over. Thought my calling was in business. I ended up with degrees in business and uh, was done with business school, working for a corporation in India. That's when I would meet my wife. And in February of 2001, we decided to pack up our bags and leave Calcutta, India for a new life in America. And in the most amazing way, uh, I find work on the 81st floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. My wife finds work on the 71st floor of the South Tower from, from nothing, we now both making great money. We both have great jobs. September 11, 2001 rolls in, and then everything changed. 8.48 in the morning, I'm standing by this fax machine, and I'm trying to send some documents out to our office in Philadelphia when I hear this incredible explosion. This was American Flight 11. This plane had come crashing into our tower. The plane uh, struck a few floors above us, but part of the wing of the plane and debris from the plane crashes through our floor. Jet fuel spreading around us, fire breaking out all around us. The building is swaying from the left to the right. The elevators were blown up because of the jet fuel that come down the elevator shaft, so the only way out was the stairwell. I looked at my watch, it's past 8.45 in the morning, and I'm saying, God, you know my wife's story. Every normal day, she's on the 71st floor of the South Tower. We hear another explosion. This is the second plane crashing into the second tower. So I start walking towards the south tower to be looking for my wife. And, and that's when the unthinkable, the unimaginable happens. I'm 15, 20 feet away from this building when the ground begins to shake. The south tower was finally imploding and going down. I'm lying there with my face flat on the ground. I realize I'm being buried in debris. Soot, glass, all kinds of stuff fall on me. But after about 20 minutes, I was kind of surprised. I'm still alive. I'm out of the debris. Both the towers have collapsed and I'm saying, God, why did you spare my life? For sure my wife is dead. Four months pregnant, there's no way my wife is gonna come down all those flights. I'm sitting right in the middle of one of the streets of New York City, uh, just a crazy man, you know, having given up hope over my wife, just angry, bitter. Some of those emotions that I went through at age nine, losing my sister, begins to uh, run through my mind again. God, where were you when this whole thing was being plotted? So God, why didn't you step in and save the day? 3,000 people died today and my cell phone rings and begins to ring for the very first time. I flip my phone and it's my wife's caller ID and I'm saying, this can't be her. But when I picked up the call and I said, hello, it's my wife on the other side, her, her life was spared. My wife and I, we meet each other late that day 
It was the most amazing moment. And uh, what had happened to her, she wanted to go to work early that day, but that day she was late to work. This tragedy has kind of opened my eyes to the, to the suffering that goes on in our world. A lot of things that I had ignored, uh, you know, earlier. And now I begin to understand that there's a lot of people hurting. And so for us, uh, what, what we were able to do with our story was give the story to God's hand. And God just took away all that anger and He took away all that bitterness and questions. And, and I traded it for joy and peace. All right, so we're going to talk about God's Guide to a Life Well Lived. Uh, kind of a short version of things that really make your life worthwhile. So... Life really is eternal life. Uh, everybody is going to live forever. Some are going to go to heaven. Some are going to be eternally separated from God. And the Bible says that those who reject Christ go to hell. But it doesn't have to be that way if they receive the Lord as their Lord and Savior, which I have done and hopefully many of you have done. And our How to Find God New Testaments talk about how easy, or, or how, not, not how easy, how that's possible and how you can do that. And so life that we live here is like a timed event, so it's only a temporary thing. So I like to play around on fitness machines and take fitness tests on the machines. And uh, I um, sometimes just jump on the thing and I really don't know what it is, I just start going and hoping I do good on the test. And so I jumped on one fitness test and so it was going kind of slow, it was one of those stair-stepper deals and um, I was getting really bored because it was going slow and I didn't know what the test was doing. So you had to type in your age and your weight and um, anyway, so you're on this thing, and it's keeping track of your pulse. And so basically, if you like, be, go below the reps that it wants you at, and if your heart rate goes above it, then the test is over, I guess, is, is how it works. I didn't know that. So when I was bored, I decided to do two steps at a time, which uh, totally messed up my heart rate, which messed up the test, which means I didn't do as good as I thought, because I didn't understand what the goal of the test was. And then I got on another machine, tried to take that test, Really had no idea what it was again, but it was riding a recumbent bike. And so I got on it, and I'm like, oh, I ride my bike a lot. This should be all right. So I'm pedaling, and it, each every like two minutes or whatever, it gets a little harder and a little harder. And um, so I'm like on level eight, and I'm like, all right, this is getting kind of hard. I'm like on level nine, and I'm like, when does this thing end? And then like sweat's coming off of my elbows and stuff. You know, there's like sweat everywhere. I'm like, I, I think I should probably stop now. And anyway, so it turns out that that test just keeps going until you can't go anymore. And uh, so, and then for some reason the screen blanked out and it didn't even give me my results. So I looked online and it said that I did excellent, but I was ready to go a little more if I just knew what the test was. You know, if it was go to level 10, I would have done everything I could to push out to level 10 just so it would tell me I did a good job. And if you don't know what this life is about and you're just running through this life thinking, well, you know, I just hope today's a good day. I hope that, you know, I can be kind and, and make God happy with me. Uh, you go through this whole life, you might miss out on what God really has for you and the way that you live your life. And we're going to talk about peace here. Actually, let me read the scripture passage from Colossians chapter 3. We have Bibles on the back table you can take home with you. But uh, Colossians chapter 3, you can grab that on your tablet, your phone, whatever. We're going to use the New Living Translation for this. Um, verse, uh, we're going to, let's go back to verse 15. We talked about that a little bit last week, but I don't think I did it justice so, verse 15, Colossians 3, 15. That's two, page 247 in these New Testaments. So, uh, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom, all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. 
And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So in those few verses there, the Holy Spirit has given us an idea on how we're supposed to live our lives and the things that would help us to live our life well. So if you do these things at the end of your life, hopefully God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And because we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness that God sees what Christ has done and sees us as justified, as righteous, as saved and uh, adopted as a child of God and guaranteed heaven and all the great things that go with that. So number one, live your life ruled by peace. So let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. So peace. Are you peaceful people? Uh, research shows you are not peaceful people on the highway. So are you a peaceful person on the highway or do you get behind that wheel and say, it's time to go to war? Do you do that? Um, Sometimes I get righteously indignant and, you know, think that I need to like honk at somebody or, or do something. So my wife tells me I shouldn't do this because I guess it could be dangerous if I did it to the wrong person. But uh, there was somebody that was following somebody on Highway 169 and I understand why he got angry and flew around this person and went into the other lane and did all this stuff. But when he did that, he just about caused a chain reaction accident for all the cars behind Everybody was annoyed by the slow person being the pace car in the fast lane, which I think there's probably a Bible verse against, you know. Um, God did not call you to be the pace car in the fast lane. That's, they call it the passing lane. But nonetheless, so this person, this guy in his truck, he, he got angry. He went across and around and everything. He almost caused this chain reaction. And so I just followed him for a bit, followed him a little more, followed him down this street until there was no place for him to go. And then I rolled down my window, and he's like, why are you following me? I said, hey, I understand that you were really bothered by that person that was going slow, but I just wanted you to know that when you did that, you probably don't even realize it, but you almost caused a chain reaction. So like the five cars behind you almost all got into an accident because you did that. He's like, oh, I didn't know that. I'll be more careful next time. I'm like, cool. And I drove away, and I thought, good deed done for the day. So yeah, I'm a good citizen. But according to a new study by the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, nearly 80% of U.S. drivers expressed significant anger, aggression, or road rage behind the wheel at least once in the past year. This was uh, from July 16, 2016, so it's pretty recent. So the most alarming findings suggest that approximately 8 million U.S. drivers engaged in extreme examples of road rage, including purposefully ramming another vehicle or getting out of the car to confront another driver. Hmm. I've actually done that before. Uh, but not in anger, because he was honking at me at a red light. Anyway, I have issues. Many drivers reported engaging in the following types of road rage. 51% purposefully tailgating. 47% yelling at another driver. 45% honking to show annoyance or anger. 33% making angry gestures. 24% trying to block another vehicle from changing lanes. You ever boxed anybody in before just because they annoyed you? I'm not even going to admit that. But uh, one of the study's researchers concluded inconsiderate driving, bad traffic, and the daily stresses of life can transform minor, minor frustrations into dangerous road rage. Far too many drivers are losing themselves in the heat of the moment and lashing out in ways that could turn deadly. Anger. Anger. They are not at peace. They're not at peace on the road. They're not at peace with other drivers. So me, I try to think of what I do as more educational, kind of like a road pastor exhorting, admonishing, encouraging, you know? 
So, uh, yeah, hopefully other people see it that way. But are you living a life of peace? Do you walk around and think to yourself, okay, I've been called to be an ambassador for Christ. I'm supposed to live a life of peace. Be a person of peace. Um, have you ever played any sports before, like, um, like football? You're supposed to be in a certain stance on your toes in the front. You're ready because you know you're about to get knocked over. So if, if you're ready in your right stance and everything like that, then when someone comes at you, you're, not, you're leaning towards them, so you're not going to get knocked over. And maybe you're ready to like push them off to the side this way or that way. And so something about the stance. When you play baseball, there's a stance. A volleyball, there's even a stance. Uh, basketball. You're ready. You're thinking, all right, someone's going to come at me. Someone's going to try to steal the ball. Someone's going to try to try to get past me, or I'm going to try to get the ball from them. And you're just, in your mind, you're just ready because you know something's coming. And if you are living a life of peace, you know that something's coming at you. You know that somebody's going to say something to offend you. You know somebody's going to do something that's just going to make you mad, or they're going to say stupid things to try to push your buttons, especially if you're a Christian at work or school. They're going to say, oh, you call yourself a Christian. Okay, let's, let's see how much of a Christian you are, and then they try to push your buttons. So, has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. So, uh, anyway, live your life ruled by peace. So, last week I mentioned that the word rule comes from the language of athletics. Paul wanted the believers to let Christ's peace be the umpire or referee in their hearts. Peace would arbitrate, decide any argument, and thereby restrain any of the passions of the old nature that might threaten Peace would settle any friction and strife so the believers could remain strong and unified. Peace must rule the hearts. So are you, are you guided by peace? Is there the inner umpire of peace? Peace in your life. The only way that you can have peace is peace with God. So Jesus Christ made it possible for us to have peace with God. Uh, John 3 talks about how God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And if you go down a few more verses, it says if you don't, Place your faith in Christ, then God's wrath remains upon you. So you need peace in Christ. The Holy Spirit can give you peace. You can live a life of peace. And if you are ready to see yourself as an agent of peace, it makes all the difference in the world. I don't know a whole lot about ambassadors. When you sent me down to Chile, I actually got to work side by side with one as he was doing sheetrock. And I told you this before, but I was trying to help these people, you know, put up sheetrock at the House of Hope. And it turns out that he worked for the embassy so I was actually leading an international leader. Put that on resume. Leading international leaders around the world. Only happened once. But you know how that works on LinkedIn, right? You just put that stuff out there and then your friends go, yeah, I, I endorse that. Nonetheless, he doesn't go around and make war. He doesn't say, you know, he's not aggressive. He's representing the country, the interests of the company, country in a peaceful way. He wants to bring the best of the country to the people. We want to bring the best of Christ to the people. So if we're going to engage in battle and war, it should be spiritual warfare against the things that you know, the enemy is trying to do, Satan's trying to do to destroy lives. But we should see the people, even the people that are messed up, that are annoying, as people that need Christ. And we should try to help them to find peace with God. Jesus in John 14, 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. So Jesus brings us peace, and we can experience peace. That was a great video that we just watched. Everything turned out okay for him. So yes, his life was difficult, and he lost his sister, and he thought he lost his wife, and um, he had given up on faith when he was young because of what had happened to his sister. But then his wife was found, and she was okay. And now they have a heart for hurting people, and that is so awesome. But what do you do when... 
things aren't okay. What do you do when you lose a child or a spouse or uh, you lose the job or the things that you prayed for don't turn out? Then what, what do you do then? Can you still have peace with God? A great example is Job. If you read the book of Job, you find somebody who was so committed to the Lord that even when everything was falling apart, even as his kids died, everything's falling apart, and his wife's like, just curse God and die. He's like, no. Uh, even, if he, even if God slays me, yet will I praise him? He was committed no matter what he went through in this life to, to follow God and to worship God. And I think that sometimes if we keep our eye on eternity and think, okay, we've got a period of time here. We've got the, our birth and our death or our birth, and when Jesus returns, and then it's eternity after that, that this is just a small section that we live it, and we trust God, we follow after God, uh, we forgive, and we forgive ourselves. Actually, that was in the verses before. We talked about that a little bit last week. But Ephesians, I'm sorry, Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we've been, been made right, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So peace, but we have to choose that peace. So if we're going to live for God and be peaceful and enjoy peace, we have to choose that. We have to choose to be peaceful people. We can be angry. A matter of fact, as Christians, it's really easy for us sometimes to be like super angry and super judgmental and super legalistic because it's like, no, you should live this way and you should dress this way and you should talk that way and you should listen to this music and you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do this. That's not really peaceful. So um, hopefully people are living out their own convictions and there are Christian standards that are good. But we, especially in the church, need to be united together and to care for each other and love each other. And Ephesians 2.14 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated from us. And there's just so many other verses about living in peace and walking in peace First uh, Peter 3.11, turn away from evil and do good, search for peace and work to maintain it. I'll end with this one for peace, or not end, don't get excited, I'm not done. Uh, letting your sin, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit controls your mind, letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace, Romans 8.6. All right, we talked about this last week, it's all through this chapter, uh, Thankfulness to God. Live your life thankful to God. So verse 15, always be thankful. Uh, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankful hearts. Verse 16, uh, whatever you do, I do it all as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. When you are living a life that's thankful, you don't look around and look at what other people have and say, oh man, I'm getting ripped off. You've got this. I don't have that. Or you've got this skill. I don't have that skill. Or you've got this family. I don't have that family. Or your kids look perfect and my kids don't look perfect. It's so unfair. Instead, if you like, think about, okay, what has God done for you? Where has God brought you from? What is he doing in your life? How is he using you? He's given you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you just start going through and counting your blessings and being thankful for what you have, then you won't be thinking about what other people have. So, and you don't know all of the details, too, about the other people. Some people put on a really good show, especially if you look at Facebook. I mean, everybody puts on their best, you know, uh, or other social networking things, and often they are not, their life is not as perfect as you think. Though I do know that some people take way more vacations than I do, but I'm okay with that. Number three, live your life flowing in wisdom and the Word. 
So let the message, another translation word, about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. So it's not just the gospel of what Christ said, but now for us it's the whole Bible. Let the word of God fill our lives in all of its richness. It, should, it shouldn't just be something that we take a sample of, but it should like, be in our lives, fill our lives. And wisdom, wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. So knowledge is something that you gain from experience or you know, through training or example or whatever. James, I think it's one, James chapter 1 says that we should ask God for wisdom. And so wisdom, another way to explain it is the God-given ability to rightly apply knowledge. And there was a quote from Craig Rochelle that somebody actually posted on Facebook this morning. I'm like, oh, I need to use that. It says, when your emotions are high, your wisdom is low. And that is so true. Our wisdom is totally lacking when our emotions are high, when we're out of control or we're, we're just living in a way that's just out of balance. Sometimes we're too tired. Sometimes we're just too upset. Sometimes we see things as a bigger issue than they are. But to live your life flowing in wisdom and the Word. So we're supposed to have Christ's Word in us, not just so that we can become Bible trivia experts, but so that we can live it out and then share it with others and teach it to others and help other people to grow in Christ. So there should be somebody in your life that you're investing in. Maybe they're not as far along in the Christian life as you are, but you're helping them along. You are teaching them because when you teach them, you are also growing. When they ask you questions you don't know the answer to, then you are growing because you're searching out those answers. So you go through and you are constantly growing and what you're learning is just like flowing out of you. So when you're having conversation, you're like, oh, I read about that in my devotions or I was doing a Bible study or I went to a small group. And we were talking about that and actually this means that. Or actually, uh, that, what, you're, what you're saying is what's something commonly uh, believed, but it's actually not true if you look at what the Bible says. And so living your life flowing in wisdom and the Word. And then number four, living your life singing and serving through the Lord. So here it says that we're supposed to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, one Bible scholar said that psalms have to do with instruments and hymns have to do with singing the Word of God a cappella. But psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. So there is so much good Christian music out there. Uh, Actually, you can find YouTube videos of good Christian music that have the lyrics on them so you can sing along as you go and you can learn the words. But to be tuned into Christian music, to to be reprogramming, renewing your mind uh, through Christian music is so awesome. Um, If you think about the ways that we learn, a lot of times music ties into it. So, I mean, think about how we learn 26 letters of the alphabet. I mean, we sang a song, right? Don't start singing it because I'll totally lose you. Or I bet every one of you could probably sing back, unfortunately, the theme song to Gilligan's Island. But don't start that because I'll lose you. But nonetheless, Music can be tied into learning, and if you're singing songs about the Lord, if you're singing songs about Scripture, if you're singing songs back to the Lord with thankful hearts, that helps you grow. That helps actually bring you peace. And then serving through the Lord. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. That is a tough one. Whatever I do or say as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all right, I'm at the buffet. How am I going to honor God here? Maybe I could, you know, be kinder to the other people around or not make a mess or obviously you're going to pray before you eat, right? Because don't stand up in the room and go, <clears throat> oh, Lord, heaven, thank you for this food. Don't do that. I mean, unless it's your house, then when it's your house and uh, you're in charge of your household, of course you pray before you eat, but you do it 
in a real realistic way, in a way that honors God. So whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. When you're at work, are you representing the Lord? When you're playing sports, are you representing the Lord? When you're driving, are you representing the Lord? I have that big I am second thing on the back of my car, so I try to remember that I'm supposed to be representing the Lord as I'm driving along. But if you do these things, it will make a huge difference in your life. It will bring peace. It will help you to live a well life. We always talk about that, well life. Worshiping, encouraging, learning, and loving. If everything in your life focused on worshiping the Lord through the ways that you did things, through the way that you said things, through the things that you wrote, typed, responded, posted, do they honor God? How about encouraging? Do you do all you can to encourage people? People you love, even your enemies, do you encourage them to grow in Christ, to know Christ? Do you encourage? Are you always learning? There's so many audiobooks. There's so many uh, Bible apps and resources. Are you constantly learning? If you've gone to school, you're not done learning. If you've gone to college or seminary, you're not done learning. You're supposed to be a lifelong learner. And the, living, the Word of God is living and active. So it, you never stop learning or growing. And are you loving? Do you really love people the way that Christ loves you? Do you really care? Because love is an action. So if you do those things, that will make all the difference in the world. So YouVersion, or the Bible.com, is an app that you can put on your phone. And it's free. There's lots of different Bible apps, but this is a great one. I know that many of you use it. But they're celebrating their 10th anniversary. And I'm going to show you a quick video clip, and then the worship team's going to come up. But it's just amazing how a church got an idea. They saw a need, and they said, you know, we've we got to do something about this. And after 10 years, 70 billion chapters of the Bible have been read. 12 billion audio chapters have been listened to. 4 billion highlights, bookmarks, and notes in, on version on the Bible app. So we're going to watch the video from the founder, and then the worship team is going to come up and sing our final song. I think one of the main reasons that the Bible app's been successful is that when we started, we actually were creating it to solve a problem that we had, which was that we wanted to read the Bible more. So we built it to solve a problem for us, but discovered that a lot of people desire to do the exact same thing. One thing we've learned on this journey is that God continues to exceed our expectations. I was in the O'Hare Airport in Chicago in October of 2006 in a long TSA security line. And there in that security line that day, I was asking myself this question. I wonder if we're at a moment in history where we could leverage technology in a way that would help me engage with the Bible, perhaps even help others engage as well. And there in that security line that day, the idea for YouVersion came. Our church started YouVersion as a website in 2007, but it actually didn't work as we had hoped. But that idea led us to realize that if we put it on our smartphones, that it really did change how we engaged with the Bible. At that same period in time, Apple announced that they were going to make it possible to develop apps for the iPhone and create this thing called an app store. And so we thought, what if the Bible could be among the very first group of apps in the app store? We built an app, we submitted it to Apple, and on July 10th in 2008, Apple launched the App Store, and the YouVersion Bible app was among the very first 200 apps that were available that day. Now, we had no idea what to expect, but in that first weekend, we saw 83,000 people install that app, and it blew our minds. Now, when we see God move, and we see momentum like that, 
we just like to put everything we can behind it. And that's exactly what we did, but we realized that we couldn't do it alone. So over the next several years, we saw a coalition of partners assemble, people from all over the world, from Bible societies, Bible translation groups, publishers, churches, pastors, authors, that have all come together to say, we want to help people connect with God's Word. So we started with just two languages when we launched, but we quickly realized that we wanted people to be able to access Scripture in whatever language they spoke. And so today, through those partnerships, we now have over a thousand languages that are available, and we're working very closely with the Bible translation groups to be sure that we can one day offer the Bible to every single person on earth in a language that they understand. And as this was happening, it continued to grow. 83,000 became a million, became 10 million, and now hundreds of millions of devices that have installed the Bible app and it's influencing people all over the world in every sphere of life, from arts and entertainment, business, education, family, government, media, and religion. When we started, we had absolutely no idea what God was getting ready to do, and He exceeded any expectation of anything that we thought was possible. But today, we know for sure that this is just the very beginning of what He wants to do. familiar with the uh, Uversion app. It has all sorts of reading plans in there as well. I use it, I'm currently using uh, two Bible in a year programs. Normally I only do one, but my son invited me to, to read one along with him, so I'm doing two. But they have short uh, things too that can be very focused to different things that you may be dealing with. It might be only two or three weeks or even five or six days if you're looking for a reading plan. I encourage you to go into the uh, you version, look at the different plans that they have. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.